Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. California is the world's largest cannabis market. Navigating and understanding everything that is happening on the legal and regulatory front can be tricky. That's why I've invited on Kershid Koja, founder of Greenbridge Law, to help us understand the latest in California cannabis from a legal and regulatory level. Kershid, welcome back to Canna Insider. Thanks so much, man. It's a pleasure to be back. Give us a sense of geography. Where are you sitting right now? I am sitting in my office in warm, sunny Sacramento. Okay. And just a quick reminder for new listeners, what is Greenbridge Law on a high level? So uh, Greenbridge Corporate Council is a regulatory and business law firm that's focused on the psychoactive cannabis, hemp, and cannabinoid industries. Uh, We represent businesses up and down the supply chain, primarily in California, but our clients include several large publicly traded multi-state operators as well, uh, and smaller mom and pop businesses, as well as up and coming social equity businesses. Okay, great. And so listeners understand kind of what your day-to-day is. You're really involved in the California market deeply. You're, as you mentioned, you're in the Sacramento area right now. Can you give a, just a snapshot of what a typical month looks like, what you do? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'd say uh, the last month is fairly typical. So I'll give you some of the, the highlights from the last month. Um, so uh, the past month, I spent a lot of time advising a publicly traded MSO's social equity fund on their investments into social equity businesses in Oakland and Los Angeles, uh, conducted legal due diligence uh, into their licensing and regulatory posture in connection with that. Uh, I've advised clients on regulatory disclosures to state and local licensing agencies related to mergers and acquisitions activity, uh, as well as a going public transaction where one of the uh, one of our clients uh, went went uh, went public um, on on the Canadian um, uh, exchanges. Um, I've assisted various clients with state and local licensing applications and renewals, advised clients on regulations applicable to various you know, consulting and management services agreements. Uh, I've advised a pharmaceutical company on state and federal laws applicable to research and development uh, using biosynthesized cannabinoids. Uh, I've assisted sea um, um, level executives at uh, cannabis companies and in, in, um, on various matters, including business immigration matters. And you know, just had uh, something where I had to uh, look uh, deeply into U.S. Customs and Border Protection policies. Um, I've had discussions with the governor's office of business and economic development regarding the upcoming licensing uh, agency consolidation uh, here in Sacramento. Um, I've, uh, I've chaired a uh, meeting of the board of directors of the National Cannabis Industry Association. I, I serve as their, their chair currently and participated in multiple discussions on the status of pending and future federal legislation. And uh, I'm currently preparing for something fun. I, I get to teach a continuing legal education seminar for uh, California Normal, uh, where I'll have an opportunity to dialogue with our current chief of the Bureau of Cannabis Control, uh, Tamara Colson, and uh, also present on a panel discussing the status of a federal legalization. So um, that kind of gives you some of the highlights in the last, uh, last month. Wow, that's great. You have a good recall, too. If someone asked me what I did this, leak, this weekend, it would take me, there'd be like a 30 second pause before I could answer Kershid. <laughs> Got all the bullet points down. So let's just jump right in. 
there's a crisis right now with provisional licensing. Why is that important and what do we need to know? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, provisional licensing was a, an accommodation that was made to um, businesses in the state who were having uh, trouble getting their local jurisdictions to complete the licensing process. Uh, a lot of local jurisdictions, you know, have um, have pretty um, stringent uh, licensing requirements, but they don't necessarily have the, the funding uh, and the um, the human resources to actually you know get get it get it all done uh, in a timely manner, uh, right? There's uh, in addition to licensing requirements, there's all sorts of uh, environmental requirements, including CEQA. Um, and in order to get a state uh, a permanent annual state license, you have to have your local license in hand, right? You have to be able to show, hey, I'm 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 right with Jesus at the local level, uh, and I've got everything squared away here. Um, and you know, uh, businesses that were applying for state licenses were not able to show that because they're having uh, because the local jurisdictions don't have what they need to to get uh, all these businesses licensed. And so, um, you know, provisional licensing was implemented essentially to give uh, these businesses, um, you know, uh, something uh, in hand to be able to show investors and and other. Um, uh, other folks who are interested in the status of the business, you know, they couldn't quite operate with a provisional necessarily, but they had, it was something, right? Um, and um, as soon as they got their local stuff squared away, they would be able to move into a regular annual license. So that that program is actually sunsetting uh, or would sunset, um, um, but for uh, actions that the governor's office is going to be taking in their in their trailer bill. But um, there, you know, that that could all be over if this program is not uh, extended, if there aren't further accommodations made uh, to these businesses that are applying for licenses, and if the local jurisdictions don't get some help uh, with clearing the backlog of local um, uh, license applications. And so um, that's kind of the, you know, we, we are going to run out of the solution that we have right now if it's not extended um, and local jurisdictions don't seem to be, you know, some are doing better than others. There's some really exemplary jurisdictions um, that I'm a big fan of. Like, you know, I'll say San Leandro. I, I really um, uh, enjoy working with them. I enjoy working with some uh, other regulators as well. But a lot of them are, are struggling. Um, and so it's 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 having a downstream waterfall effect on um, state licensing. And so that's kind of the, the quandary that uh, businesses find themselves in right now. Wow. And what do you think the most likely outcome is going to be? I mean, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you think is going to happen? Well, I, I think there has to be an extension on provisional licenses, and and that is essentially what the governor's office is trying to do uh, is to extend um, the um, um, the time through which they can grant provisional licenses. I think they're they're shooting for at least a six month extension. Um, it's going to end uh, this coming January. So they're trying to stretch that out uh, further um, and uh, also loosen up some of the criteria um, so that, you know, you can kind of show progress to the state and get your provisional uh, without having to get, you know, everything done at the local level if, if the, you know, the hiccup is at the local level. Um, and so the, the trailer bill, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well, um, has that that extension in there, so that um, that could help us. It's a band aid. Um, the real solution is you know the locals getting um, getting their backlogs cleared, um, and hopefully you know that will happen as well with some of the additional funding that's going to go to these jurisdictions to help them through that. 
I've read that Governor Newsom may be recalled. Where is that on a high level? And what's your opinion of the most likely outcome there? Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, um, you know, it, it right now, it doesn't seem likely that that is going to succeed. Um, personally, I sure hope it doesn't as a cannabis industry advocate, because he has been, the governor has been a very strong advocate for the industry. He was a you know big backer of uh, Prop 64. Um, and, um, you know, we, uh, I'd like to see him stay, um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people in the industry share that, um, that, um, that desire. Um, and so, you know, right now it doesn't seem like there are, um, any serious, um, uh, challenges to the governor. You know, we've got a couple of Republican candidates. We've also got a couple of like, you know, MAGA, uh, type candidates as well that, uh, are in it to be, you know, disruptive, but, um, uh, I, I don't, I don't see that as happening. Right. And so I'm hoping that, you know, um, come June, um, um, that, that, um, I'm sorry, come December that, um, the, the governor will still, uh, will still be in office. Um, and we will go on with business as usual. You mentioned, uh, the budget trailer bill. What is that? And what do we need to know there? So um, the budget trailer bill comes out, you know, every budget cycle, the governor puts forth a proposal for, you know, how we're going to allocate funds uh, among uh, the various state agencies and um, state programs. And so the, the reason why this trailer bill in particular is so momentous for the industry is that it includes a proposal to uh, consolidate uh, all three of the state licensing uh, agencies. Right now, we've got you know the Bureau of Cannabis Control, we've got the Manufactured Cannabis Safety Branch at the California Department of Public Health, and we've got Cal Cannabis uh, at the California Department of Food and Agriculture. Um, you know, in addition to that, we've also got CDTFA, which does the tax collection, the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration. Um, and we've got other, you know, um, agencies that perform various tasks in the industry as well. But those are the, the big ones, right? And the three licensing agencies, you know, all have their own sets of regulations. Um, they don't always match up, um, you know. And so uh, the way that one agency defines who is an owner uh, isn't the same as the way another agency defines it, right? And and um, um, so it, it creates a very cumbersome licensing uh, system for the state's industry, uh, especially those companies that are vertically uh, integrated and, and, you know, uh, work up and down the supply chain. Um, They have to get, you know, multiple different licenses. They have to, uh, and they have to apply to these uh, different agencies to to get that. And they have to deal with different regulators for each different facility uh, that they have licensed. And so, you know, the, the governor's proposal is to create from these three agencies, a department of cannabis control that would replace the three licensing agencies, um, and then you know these uh, license the the new licensing agency would essentially uh, pass consolidated regulations as well, so there wouldn't be this issue of you know variance between uh, the the regs for each of the licensing agencies and each of the license types. Um, so that's really the, the the big headline from the uh, the trailer bill. Uh, there are a lot of other you know great things that uh, the trailer bill. Um, does, um, including creating a director uh, for social equity, uh, deputy director for social equity, 
um, and extending indefinitely, you know, funding for um, uh, support of local jurisdictions that are that have social equity programs. So um, there are a number of other things that, um, that the trailer bill does as well. Um, um, you know, obviously it it, it uh, clears up a lot of the um, um, uh, regulatory complexity by you know uh, wiping out a lot of provisions that have to deal with the different agencies and just vesting all that authority in the Department of, um, of Cannabis Control. Um, but, uh, but those are the kind of the, the, the big headlines of what, um, um, uh, what the trailer bill does. Okay. Wow. That sounds like a lot. You know, if, if I was a uh, California business operator, I would be very, this would cause me a lot of anxiety. Do you think that like, if you were to look into the future a few years, this is going to be a lot more streamlined and less friction? Yeah, I, I think so. That's certainly the hope. And you know, while while yes, like it, it can be, it can produce a fair amount of anxiety because you're going to have to we're going to have to go through rulemaking uh, again, uh, right? And so that's a, a pretty arduous process. Um, the rulemaking, you know, uh, that uh, that's going to occur uh, in the first instance for the new department is also going to kind of suspend uh, some of the procedural protections that uh, licensees might. Uh, have in terms of the rulemaking process itself, right? Like the the uh, agencies don't necessarily uh, the the new agency won't necessarily have to publish uh, in advance what it's planning to do uh, for emergency regulations, right? For temporary regulations for the first six months to a year, um, they basically built into this trailer bill. Hey, you know we're we're not going to follow this process. Um, and, you know, we are going to follow the regular rulemaking process once we get past this emergency phase. Uh, but for now, um, you know, where the, the agencies are going to attempt uh, to identify, you know, where there are conflicts in their uh, existing regulations, uh, clearing those conflicts up, rationalizing the system uh, a bit more, getting rid of some of the um, you know, getting rid of some of the uh, requirements that are currently uh, in the regs that cause, you know, um, a, a lot of friction in terms of getting, you know, getting uh, licensed and also keeping your license. So, for example, um, you know, what I'm reading is that um, they may do away with fingerprinting, right? And so, um, and instead allow the uh, agency to go in and um, uh, inquire with uh, state, federal, and, and local law enforcement on criminal background um, checks, right? And, and that could really um, alleviate a lot of stress uh, going forward. Um, you know, not having to kind of guess as to what, um, you know, uh, what a regulation means uh, because they've had a chance to clarify it. I think that's also going to reduce uh, quite a bit of stress. And so, you know, initially, yes, I think it's going to be very, uh, people are going to feel very anxious um, about it. But I think long-term, everyone knows that this is a very good thing um, it's going to reduce the burdens, regulatory burdens and, and costs on um, uh, operators. Um, and, you know, frankly, um, I, I hope it takes a lot of work off my plate. Um, I, you know, there are a lot of interesting things that I get to do and, um, you know, having to tangle with uh, licensing agencies on ownership disclosures isn't the most interesting, right? And so if we can get sure. rid of some of those uh, those tedious uh, requirements, you know, not do away with them, but just rationalize them, make them simpler. Um, I think everyone's better off. So there's some pending legislation around veterinary CBD. Can you tell us about that? 
Sure. Um, so the the veterinary space is uh, is really interesting one. Um, it's not just uh, not just CBD, uh, but also um, other there are other pen, uh, other pending bills as well that would essentially um, incorporate veterinary products into uh, the medical uh, and adult use cannabis regulation safety act. Uh, right now, veterinary veterinary products are not contemplated, and these are you know products that include THC. Um, if you're a veterinarian, um, you know, you could lose your license potentially for advising um, a, um, a patient um, on uh, or a patient's owner on administering cannabis um, to their pet. Um, and so, you know, there's a bill, uh, AB 384, I believe it is, that would um, that would essentially protect veterinarians and allow them to do that. Um, AB 45 is the bill that's on veterinary CBD that would essentially Say, hey, if you're, you know, for for non-cannabis products, for CBD derived from industrial hemp, um, you know, putting these products into um, uh, into uh, veterinary preparations is is not going to, you know, quote unquote, adulterate um, those uh, those preparations, right? It's still going to be legal to sell those. Right now, it's arguably not legal to to sell those. Those can be deemed adulterated because CBD is not approved as an ingredient. And so, um, so these bills would essentially make it safer for, uh, both for veterinarians to, um, to uh, advise, um, uh, on THC and cannabis and, and CBD as well, and also to manufacture, uh, these products and to, to regulate them properly as well. So talk a little bit about the regulation and taxation for non-cannabis cannabinoids, I think this means non-psychoactive cannabinoids and what insights you have around this. You talked about that for veterinary CBD, but, or veterinary, uh, regulations, but how about just in general? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, non, non cannabis cannabinoids, I consider it to be not just the non-psychoactive cannabinoids, but any cannabinoids not derived from marijuana, right. Derived from industrial hemp. Um, I'm not aware of any other, you know, plants that produce cannabinoids. So I think that's what we're really talking about is in industrial hemp derived, uh, cannabinoids currently, um, in Malcursa, um, uh, there is no pathway to be able to use, uh, cannabinoids derived from anything other than psychoactive cannabis or marijuana. Um, and so, you know, there have been manufacturers and, and, uh, operators that have wanted to either incorporate um, hemp CBD or sell hemp CBD, uh, and they have not been able to do so because the de- you know it's not um, it's not within the ambit of Malcursa. It's kind of carved out, um, and so um, you know the regulations uh, don't allow current regulations don't allow um, licensees to actually incorporate hemp CBD or any other hemp cannabinoids. Uh, into their supply chain, um, even though it might be significantly cheaper than extracting them from psychoactive cannabis, right? And so there, there hasn't been a pathway for that. Um, and so, um, you know, there, there are a couple of bills that would would um, create this pathway for hemp-derived cannabinoids, not only to incorporate them into the you know, supply chain for folks who are licensed under Malcursa, uh, but also generally um, as well to uh, allow for the incorporation of hemp CBD and hemp derived cannabinoids into um, other foods, cosmetics, supplements, uh, veterinary products that are not sold by, you know, um, a Macursa licensee, just sort of out in the, uh, in the general um, market. 
Um, so AB, AB 1435 is the one that discusses the, is the one that creates a pathway for malcursor licensees to incorporate hemp-derived cannabinoids, and AB 45 is the one that sort of does this more generally. And in each, in each of these instances, you know, there's going to be um, testing uh, of these cannabinoids, there's going to be taxation of these cannabinoids uh, as well. And so again, this is sort of an effort to create a pathway uh, for these uh, hemp-derived cannabinoids. It, it doesn't, you know, doesn't address any of the uh, biosynthesized cannabinoids, um, but, uh, but it does, uh, does address uh, hemp-derived cannabinoids. Everybody's familiar with THC, which is also called Delta-9 THC, but now there's Delta-8 THC products out there. Some states are banning this. What's the general kind of mood around Delta-8 THC in Sacramento and California at large? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, I think amongst operators, there is uh, a concern because again, Delta, you know, when people talk about Delta 8 THC, they're talking about THC derived from hemp again, right? They're, um, and they're kind of uh, um, assuming that because the um, uh, hemp legislation at the federal level uh, calls out um, Delta nine in certain places that it doesn't apply, you know, that, that the prohibition on, you know, the volume of THC allowable in industrial hemp um, that it doesn't apply to um, Delta eight or that somehow Delta eight THC um, is not prohibited under federal law that um, the, you know, that the um, um, hemp bills, uh, I'm sorry, the hemp legislation at the federal level completely legalizes that. Um, that does not seem to be what the DEA thinks, uh, however, uh, because when you look at um, DEA guidance on what they consider to be prohibited and THC is prohibited, um, they include all, all variants of THC, right? And so um, Delta-8 uh, would be included in that. Um, there's, a, there's a publication called the Orange Book that the DEA puts out that kind of you know, goes into a lot of detail about uh, the various different controlled substances that are, are banned under the CSA. Um, and so, you know, they, if you look at THC, they include um, not just Delta, Delta nine, but all, all variants of THC. And so, you know, the issue at the federal level is, is this really, you know, lawful? Um, is, is there actually a carve out for Delta eight? A lot of folks would argue, no, there, there isn't. And at the state level in California, again, like the the concern among among operators is like, all right, so we have all these folks who are selling THC products essentially um, outside of the regulated system without a license, without any kind of testing, uh, without any kind of taxation, and this is you know uh, unfair and it, and it creates uh, public health uh, issues um, as well, right? So um, uh, it's you know presumably if if uh, some of these um, non cannabis uh, cannabinoid bills are passed, um, that would address some of the issues, some of the concern in that, you know, you could have Delta-8 uh, incorporated into the supply chain um, and tax it and test it and ensure that, you know, a lot of the uh, problems that would otherwise exist without regulation are, are addressed. Uh, and so I think that is kind of the, the hope is that, hey, you know, we're not, no one's, no one wants to deprive anybody else of the benefits of Delta-8 THC, but we also want to ensure that it's, it's safe and that um, it's not, going to undercut um, the regulated um, tax pay market. Okay. And let's talk about tax relief a little bit. Any good news there? Um, yeah. So there, there is legislation um, pending currently at the state level, um, you know, that would essentially um, 
um, relieve licensees of, uh, of penalties in the event that they aren't able to uh, pay, you know, cultivation and exercise taxes on a timely basis. There's a lot of reasons why that, you know, hasn't happened. Um, uh, and uh, this, the you know, this bill would essentially eliminate the penalty for licensees while while maintaining the penalty for anybody who's operating without a license. And the reason why, you know, again, this is important is that the tax system in California is quite tedious um, and uh, very inefficient um, and imposes a lot of regulatory costs uh, on operators, right? You've got a cultivation tax that has to be passed from the cultivator to the manufacturer, to the distributor, and then remitted by the distributor. You've got an excise tax that has to be remitted um, you know, by the retailer to the distributor, the distributor needs to kind of factor that into sales ahead of time. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of record keeping, a lot of back and forth, a lot of, a lot of places where, uh, this could go wrong as well. Right. And, um, you, you we had a, a lot of instances, for example, of, you know, distributors selling to retailers on terms, um, and then the retailer is not paying them, right. Not only not paying them for the product, but also not remitting the tax, um, the excise tax that is due. Um, and, you know, guess who's on the hook for that? It's the distributor who's, you know, offered terms to the retailer. Uh, they still have to pay uh, and remit excise tax. And, you know, saying, hey, well, the retailer stiffed me um, isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to cut it, doesn't give them the relief that they need. Um, and so, um, you know, and so as a result, they get you know slapped with penalties for that as well, even though it's not their fault and they have tried um, to get payment for for goods. Right. And so um, uh, there are various proposals being floated about, you know, consolidating uh, the taxes beyond this penalty relief bill. Uh, there's talk of, um, you know, folding the cultivation tax into the excise tax. There's talk of having. Um, you know, because the retailers already collect, re- you know, sales tax, for example, uh, why not just have them collect the excise tax um, and remit the excise tax rather than, you know, paying it to the distributor when they buy uh, the goods, paying it in advance, essentially, right? Um, let them collect it um, and, you know, report it and pay it just like they do with sales tax. Um, and so, you know, whether or not that is a, a net positive for the industry, I think it depends on, you know, whether you're a retailer or distributor, where you are in the supply chain. Um, but, uh, but I think definitely uh, those proposals, um, I'm hoping to see them advance. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of folks in the industry are because, um, you know, the, the, uh, this is one of the key things that we need to get right um, if this system is going to survive and if we are going to beat the illicit market um, and outperform it. Right? We need to have a rational um, tax system that is not going to uh, create as many as many problems. Rashid, you talk to a lot of a cannabis business owners and operators in California and nationally, but what is one big opportunity they are seeing? And conversely, what's one thing that keeps them up at night? You know, I um, I, I think the... Um, fact that we still have a lot of uh, illicit operators um, is uh, something that obviously keeps folks up at night. Um, you know, we've talked about some of these other supply chains like the hemp derived cannabinoids not being regulated. Um, you know, that uh, obviously keeps them uh, up at night. Um, and so, you know, I think that, um, um, you know, this consolidation of the licensing agencies and this pending legislation that we've got um, is going to, you know, is going to um, uh, certainly uh, rationalize 
their business structure um, and is going to give them um, you know a lot of opportunity to to, to grow and scale. Uh, right. So um, I, I think that's kind of like it's not one opportunity. It's sort of like, um, you know, it, it's it's the uh, it's what the what the future holds uh, in terms of um, uh, of uh, the regulatory system. I think, you know, it's not um, it's kind of weird to think about that as an opportunity, but it is an opportunity to kind of get it right. Right. And so, um, you know, from from a, a, a regulatory lawyer's perspective, the, the big opportunity is this coming rulemaking uh, and ensuring that we have um, a say, even though we've got these emergency regs coming up, we've got a say in uh, how um, things move forward. And so, you know, even with the emergency regulations in place, the the agencies um, and soon to be the single agency, they're still listening. They're still very responsive um, to operators, especially when operators, big groups of operators come together and, and press their case. Uh, right. And so I think um, uh, I think this is a, a big opportunity uh, coming up to kind of restructure the market um, and to make, um, you know, uh, create a lot of efficiency here and essentially a lot of a lot of gains from that. Krishi, I'd like to transition to some personal development questions. What is one trend or development you see in the cannabis space that you feel like people aren't fully, fully appreciating how big it's going to be or how disruptive it's going to be or the impact it's going to have. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about this, uh, you and I have talked about this uh, before um, in terms of kind of the, the application of, uh, of blockchain and, and cryptocurrency to the industry. And, you know, folks have been talking about this in terms of kind of a, a solution to the banking issues that the industry has. Well, what about, you know, what if we all use Bitcoin, right? And, and previously, um, you know, the because the um, uh, regulators didn't know a whole lot about uh, Bitcoin, didn't know a whole lot about cryptocurrency, um, you know, they just described, um, you know, ill intent to it. Right. And it's true that, like, people have used uh, cryptocurrency um, uh, for illicit transactions. Um, you know, that that's uh, without a doubt, like, yes, that's happened. Uh, but that's not the only thing that happens with cryptocurrencies. And so I think that that space is going to change our space um, in a massive way, especially after um, we finally get descheduling at the federal level, right? Once we get descheduling at the federal level, things like a cannabis futures market uh, are going to be a reality, right? Um, when we have interstate commerce, we'll be able to have uh, true futures markets at the national level and then at the international level, um, as well as we roll back prohibition uh, internationally. But um, that is, you know, think about the application of, um, you know, NFTs. Think about the application of uh, decentralized exchanges. Think about the applications of um, a um, um, uh, a DAO, right? Uh, a decentralized autonomous organization, right? And they were, we're already seeing um, transformations in, in corporate law. Uh, I think Wyoming just passed a DAO uh, LLC uh, bill, right? That essentially, you know, um, uh, gives the green light to, to form DAOs and have some limited liability protection for folks who are invested in that in that DAO, right? And so, I think about you know how all of these technologies are going to um, to uh, create the market of tomorrow, and it's it's very exciting. It's going to transform regulations. 
when you don't have, you know, owners um, per se, you don't have, you know, C-level executives running a co- company. It's run by the by the Dow. Um, you know, that's going to be huge, right? You, you already see at this point. Like I, I um, got to work with. Uh, a client that was evaluating um, uh, an investment into a uh, social equity uh, entrepreneur that is doing cannabis NFTs, right? Digital, you know, so-called digital strains, very exciting stuff. Um, and so I, I'm just enthralled by all that. Um, and I'm very excited about what this is going to mean, especially post descheduling. Yeah, this is really an interesting time, especially the kind of mashup of these things as they they come together, DAOs, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and cannabis. It's just going to be, it's just going to be crazy. Everything's accelerating so fast. It's, it's, it's fun, but it's also kind of like Star Trek warp speed a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it can be hard to keep up, but that's what keeps it fun too, right? There's always so much to learn, um, you know, and, and uh, you can easily spend hours and hours and hours uh, developing your knowledge on on that space and thinking about the application in the in the cannabis industry. Okay, Krishid. Last question: What is your favorite unhealthy comfort food or guilty pleasure? Oh man, there are, there are, uh, it's hard to choose, but, uh, I guess, uh, pizza and whiskey, if I had to, if I had to choose, um, you know, pizza is definitely one of my favorite things being a Chicagoan. Um, but it's also one of the, the worst things I think that, uh, um, paying a healthy, uh, weight, um, and, uh, whiskey, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself, right? It's, uh, I, I love bourbon. Um, but, um, you know, uh, too much of a good thing is not a good thing. Well said, well said everything in moderation, but including moderation once in a while, you have to go, you have <laughs> to go right. crazy. That's well, right. Krishid, let listeners know how they can get in touch with you. If you have a cannabis business or who your clients would be that could reach out to you and say, Hey, I need help in the legal arena. How can they connect with you? Um, sure. So I'm, I'm, um, you know, I, I'm not a big marketer, but I do have a LinkedIn profile uh, where folks can find me pretty easily. Um, uh, I also, uh, you know, our firm has a website. Uh, the Greenbridge Corporate Council website is uh, just greenbridgelaw.com. Uh, it's a .com for now. It's going to be a .crypto um, in the next year, um, Ooh, just as a teaser. Good. But, uh, um, but yes, yeah, so right now it's greenbridgelaw. Dot com, uh, and that's uh, our, our website. You can connect with us uh, there. Um, and uh, occasionally, I'm on Twitter, but not a whole lot. All right. Well, Kershid, thanks so so much for coming on and giving us a brief of what's going on with California and cannabis. Really appreciate it, man. There is so much going on, so we really needed that digest version. Well done, and look forward to the next update. Thank you very much, Matt. If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guest to you. Learn more at cannainsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. 
Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canada Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canada Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening and look for another Canada Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.